Um, so one of the uh, great things about having a microphone in a stage is I can kind of talk about whatever I want. Um, it's like my own little confessional booth with a, you know, a bunch of people that listen in. And so I'm going to talk to you today but first about something that you probably can't relate to at all. Um, but that's okay because, again, I have the microphone. Um, sometimes when I go home... Um, the house is messy. And I'm sure none of you have ever had a messy house before. Um, this is probably very foreign to you. But sometimes when I go home, there's stuff there. And Rachel, I think, spends most of her time cleaning up after me and then the kids. Probably me first, because um, sometimes I'll leave projects half undone in the living room. And then I have two girls, so there'll be like a knee-high pile of tutus throughout most of the house. Um, and then there'll be the one random shoe that's just sort of piled in there, which I don't know where the other shoe is. We still haven't found that shoe. It's just there. And then there's like a rollerblade and then a plastic dinosaur that you step on. And again, I'm sure this is very foreign to many of you, um, because it's just you know, always perfect there. I, I know this is something we all deal with. But um, when I walk in and I see the giant mess or I see a big thing, um, I, I logically know what needs to happen. Like you just, you know, you pick something up, you put it away, you keep doing that and it'll go away, except that the kids tend to throw more stuff in the middle of all of it. But I know what it is, but t typically what happens is I just, I can't even start. And so what do I do? I go sit on the couch and turn on Netflix. And then I just pretend it's not there. Anybody else ever done that before? No, just, just me? Great. Um, but I feel like when there's just a big problem when you look at it, my tendency is to just shut down. Um, I, I know it's a little, I know there's a little stuff you can take in it, but I just see it and I turn away. And maybe it'll go away on its own, maybe it'll fix itself, but I think that's our tendency. You know, it's just, it's too big and we can't figure out. And, and the real confession I had today is for the last, I've been at Summit now for several years, and every year we take this day. And every year we talk about Africa and we talk about what God is doing through our church in Africa. And um, every year I kind of have walked away not sure what to do because it's just so big. And I can't figure out how I can make a difference in it. And so just like my mess at home, oftentimes I just go, that's great. I'm so glad that we're as a church doing it. And I, and I do want you to hear that by being a part of what we're doing here, uh, by being a part of this church, you are a part of what God is doing in Africa. But I, can't, I couldn't figure out what it meant to take a step into it because it's just big. I mean, it is, it's a much bigger uh, than the pile of stuff that's in my house. I mean, just the continent itself is massive. I mean, when you see it on a map, it is just a giant landmass. And you start looking at the numbers of people and everything that are there. And then you start getting into the, the actual numbers of what's happening. I'm gonna highlight some of those today because it just, it just goes to point to everything that's happening. There are 23 million people uh, living in Sub-Saharan Africa that are infected with HIV AIDS. Um, over a million die every year. I mean, that number itself is staggering. I mean, that would be half of the Orlando metro area every year that's dying of, of one thing. And this is just one of the tip of the iceberg of the problems, right? Uh, there's 15 million orphans living in Africa because of the AIDS pandemic. Essentially, there's whole generations of people that are missing. Um, poverty, 70% of people that are there live for um, less than $2 a day. Just widespread poverty. Um, nutrition, a third of people are undernourished. So a third of a whole continent don't get enough food every day. And this one, um, it's been interesting how much this has struck me, especially having uh, two girls. 80% of girls don't have access to education. Um, and then there's me. And, and how do I do anything about that? I mean, the problems are so big and it's so massive. And like the pile of stuff at home, it's much easier for me to walk over to Netflix and just kind of tune it out and know that there are good people doing stuff, but I could never quite figure out how to get into the door. And it's not something that I was foreign to, I mean, since Rachel and I started dating, this was on the radar that we were going to go to Africa. Since she was little, uh, her parents' friends were missionaries there. It's been on her heart to go there. And I've never been opposed to going. It was kind of, we had tried before and it hadn't worked out. 
But to figure out how he's going to make a difference, I, I couldn't figure that out. I just didn't know. And even as we talk about it year after year, and uh, I mean, one of the first things in my, when I interviewed here was like, you know you're going to Africa someday. I'm like, that's great. I have no problem going. But I didn't know how to even get started in the midst of caring, of seeing, of taking the next steps. And I think if, if we're honest, we all have that question. We all have this question, and it looms not just with Africa, but with so many areas in our life. And, and the question is, can little old me make a difference? Can I make a difference in the midst of all this stuff going on? For, for some of you that might be in your job, can I make a difference in the culture of this giant company with its Byzantine layers of stuff? Can I make a difference in the day-to-day -day of the 60,000 some odd hours I'm gonna spend at work? Can I make a difference? Uh, can I make a difference in my neighborhood? I know I'm called to be my neighbor. We've been looking at that in the story of the Good Samaritan that we're supposed to love our neighbor, but there's 500 people in my neighborhood. And instead of starting with the one, just seeing the whole neighborhood, I don't even know where to start. Can I make a difference? Um, I think a lot of times that comes up in our family when our kids uh, are grown and, and some of you are asking the question, can I make a difference in their life anymore? Or maybe things haven't worked out the way they wanted to. Maybe it's with your parents or your siblings and this multiple layers of uh, things that have happened in the story of your family. Can I make a difference in the life of my family? And we can get so stunted in the midst of that question, can I make a difference? And that never starts and we just sort of shut down and, and move on. In Africa, throws all of those, laser focus into this giant pile of, of, of asking the question, can I make a difference? Can little old me make a difference in the midst of this giant thing? When I've tried to wrap my head around, especially Africa, I just, I can't figure out what to do. Like, what was that first step? Um, and so again, I, I would sort of move past it and just wait till the next year and go, maybe this is the year that God would kind of open that door or I would see but the way I was finally able to see in was maybe a little bit um, taking four steps too far was to go to Africa, right? Um, I probably could have started with reading the internet or um, talking to somebody who went, but so I signed up to go. And in the midst of signing up to go, the thing that really changed a lot of it was we had to re start reading the news. And I love reading the news. I've got like thousands of articles that pop through every day and I, I kind of keep up with what's going on in the world and whatnot. And so I started reading the news in Malawi as part of our assignment. And as we, as our group kind of walked through it, one issue started really standing out in the midst of all of it in Malawi. Um, people with albinism who here you just, that's not even a thing. I mean, it's people whose skin looks a little different. Um, and there they were being hunted and killed because there was some belief that there was magical powers that was imbued in their body. And that nobody kind of knew why or how, but there was this really huge crisis. And again, the problem was so big, people being hunted. What is this? I mean, this is the 20th century. I mean, or 21st, I don't know the numbers. Um, somebody can fill me in on that later, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, but, uh, but how could this possibly be happening? But then what was so interesting is as our group was there and we realized that some of the kids that we would be working with in the VBS that we were running had albinism. But they didn't just have albinism, they had names. They were people that we were going to know and some of our friends that were going introduced us to them from a distance that we were gonna be working with them. And all of a sudden we realized we're gonna have a chance to walk alongside and encourage a couple of people that are dealing with this every day. And though the problem is big, the reality was really small of what we were gonna be able to do. And I realized that the problem that I think I've had over the years of trying to figure all this out was, was going about the question wrong, about approaching it wrong. Because it, it's not just me being small. It's not just answering, can I make a difference? There's another part of the equation because God is big. And it has to be both. We have to think both big and small because yes, I'm small. Yes, you're small. In the midst of all of this, we're very small, we're one person. And yes, the problem is huge. I mean, everywhere in all of our lives, but especially in Africa, the problem is huge. The numbers are staggering. But that's not the whole picture because God is bigger than any of these problems. Our God is a big God. And he's a God that cares not just thousands of years ago, but today. 
and our God uses our small actions to make a difference. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at the Good Samaritan story. It's on your bulletin, and um, many of you are familiar with it. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I'd encourage you to take that home and look at it today. We're not going to go real far into it, but as, as a reminder, uh, Jesus is asked, who's our neighbor? Uh, what do we do? And he tells this story of two men who were close to God, who saw someone beat up on the side of the road and saw him but continued to walk on and didn't stop to help. He had a third person, a Samaritan, a person who was so far removed from the story, a person who was so unlikely to help, stopped, picked him up, bandaged him, took him, gave of his life, and, and had mercy on him. He acted upon what he saw. And I imagine if the Samaritan was a real person, uh, that there were certain questions he could have asked and stopped. In the midst of the question of, can I make a difference? I think it would have been really easy for him to stop because we learned that this road was a treacherous road. It was steep, it had caves, people hid. There were robbery and violence all the time. And there was a part of him who could have not even started on the road because the road was just too much of a problem. Yet there he was on the road. And in the midst of it, he finds this man, he could have said, what can I possibly do? I might get jumped or something happening. And he could have continued on, but he didn't. He's an outsider. Um, he could have been accused of hurting the man when he brought him to the inn. It would have been very likely that they would have been looked down upon. And so the problem could have been so big of what, what can I possibly do? They're just gonna accuse me and walked on. Um, he could have asked the question, can I afford it? It's gonna cost time and money. It's just too big. It's just, it's too much. I'm just gonna go do the equivalent of Netflix of whatever that was in their day. Um, but the very real question he could have asked and stopped with could have been, what difference can little old me make? He's almost dead. He's on the side of the road. What can I possibly do? But we see something vastly different in this story. Uh, the model that Jesus holds up to the scrutiny of the man who asked him the question of who is our neighbor, the, the story he tells in response to this, what he puts out as the model of how we are to act is very different because the Samaritan looked just like the other two men. He saw the person on the side of the road, but he didn't see the enormity of the problem. He, he saw a need he could meet. He looked into the eyes of a man who was injured and he acted. Very different. He saw right into the eyes and he acted. And Jesus' life was marked with similar actions. Um, Jesus comes into the earth and he, he comes face to face with the largest problem known to mankind, the problem of our separation from God, the problem of our sin, the problem of us never being able to live up to a good and perfect and holy God. And he knows from day one that his life mission is leading to a cross to give his life for us. The biggest problem that we could ever know, much bigger than any of this. Yet in the midst of all of it, Jesus continues to stop Jesus continues to stop and care about the one in the midst of a giant problem. Um, his everyday life that's recorded in the Gospels keeps showing him over and over and over again going to people and caring about them. And if you've, you've never taken a chance to learn about that Jesus, I cannot encourage you enough to see the heart of God that's in the Gospels. Jesus cares for people. He stops and he makes mud and he wipes it on a blind man's eye so he can see he doesn't have to do that. He can snap his fingers, yet something in the moment of him being able to physically touch another person and to walk into their life to heal him. Um, he feeds hungry people with fish and loaves and meets a physical need they had as they're sitting there with him. He speaks to a woman at a well who hadn't been spoken to kindly probably in a long time, who's separated out from the rest of her people, and he offers her living water and speaks into her life. He touches a leper who hadn't been touched in years and reaches, reaches into the deepest recesses of his need and his soul. and doesn't just heal his leprosy, but he heals his physical touch that this man has been missing. He stops in the midst of a crowd and listens to a woman's story, her whole story, who's been on a lifetime of, of bleeding. And as she's healed, he doesn't just heal her 
physically stops and listens to her whole story. That's the Jesus, the Jesus who stops and cares individually in the midst of a giant mission, in the midst of crowds, in the midst of all this going on, Jesus stops for the one. For him, then and now, individuals matter. Um, as we were walking through the series, um, and if you haven't had a chance to listen uh, to the three parts that Zach did on the Good Samaritan, I'd highly encourage you, go back and listen to them. They're on SoundCloud, they're available online. It really lays a platform for what we're talking about the next few months, and he does just a great job of walking us through what does it look like to love our neighbor. But one of the things he really pulled out that was just moving to me is um, the singularity and the great commandment. Jesus says in Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And it really struck a lot of us in that, that command, love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbors, love your neighbor as yourself. It's very pointed, it's very singular. And if we only see the problems that face us and not the person, we miss an opportunity. If we can only see the millions and not the one, then we aren't able to live in our world as Jesus did. Jesus saw all of it. He saw the big picture and he over and over and over again saw the one. I would venture to say uh, that we cannot fully or rightly engage in meeting any big problem that God leads us to face if we fail to see the individual faces of those made vulnerable by that problem. Africa, it's not a place of problems. It's a place of neighbors, of people loved desperately by God. It's a place filled with names and faces and people who God created, who God still loves, who God is present with right now. And if we miss that, if we miss the opportunity to see them face to face, we miss an opportunity that God puts right in front of us. We need to put a face on our neighbor. It's that perspective that gives all of us little old me's uh, the power in the face of these giant challenges. And when we do, when we see it, when we're able to put that together, we get to God see our, and use our small acts of faithful obedience to make differences, big, big differences in the world. Um, so today, um, and for the next couple of minutes, I want to put a face to one of our neighbors, to put a face on one of our friends in Africa. Um, I'm going to show you the story of Francisco. And Francisco is a great guy. I had a chance to meet him this past summer. He has um, an incredible story. It's not the easiest. Uh, but uh, Francisco's story is made up of a lot of individual people who have taken steps and a big impact is made. So let's check out Francisco's story. 